Thank you for listening to the George Reister podcast presented by the Unafraid Show, where faith, family, fatherhood, food, and sports all meet. Before we get to today's great guests, please make sure that you guys leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts, and most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. There's also a link in the description about how you can send us a voicemail or send an email to gwpodcast at unafraidshow.com. Today's guest needs no introduction. If you are on the internet or if you are on Twitter and you follow breaking news, then this is the man, Rob Latall. He's the editor-in-chief for Black Sports Online, also known as BSO, and the co-host of TMZ Sports on FS1. This is a man who coined the term dollinaire, who is grinded from the out the mud, turned a just a dream into a hugely successful website. So welcome in Rob Latall. Rob, man, we've known each other for a long time, mostly virtually through uh, Twitter. But, you know, getting a chance to talk to each other and seeing the growth of Black Sports Online from where it was to where it is, man, it is absolutely crazy and it's cool to see not just a you know somebody that is a brother and all that stuff like doing something great but actually seeing somebody take something from its infancy to to grow to where you're at now yeah it's, it's actually surprising to myself sometimes I mean honestly I wake up some days and I still got to pinch myself. I feel so, so blessed because it wasn't like I had a master plan. You know, it wasn't like I, you know, actually saw. I think everybody wants to be successful, you know, but I could have never imagined when I started uh, kind of where I was going to end up at. And to see it happen is kind of, you know, one of those things that is not just for me, but just being able to help other people as well, being able to do things that, you know, I can, you know, sit down and say, hey, you know, I'm helping you know, my people uh, as best that I can and doing my role and everything. Uh, it, it's really a, a blessing from where I came from to see where I'm at now, uh, because it could have definitely went a different way. And I'm so glad that it did. Yeah. where So where did the idea for Black Sports Online, where did it come from and how did you get started in the beginning? Well, I always wanted to be in, in sports media. I know people ask me that a lot of times, but I wanted to be in traditional sports media back back then when I was in college in the, in the late 90s early 2000s you know ESPN and Sports Center that was the big thing so I yeah. wanted to be Stuart Scott or Dan Patrick or the, even the local you know sports guy was really the cool guy you know on the news the local news so when I went to school you know that's what I wanted to do I wanted to be in television and, and sports and things like that and once I got out of college and I'm sure this happens to a lot of college people I realized hey the real world is a little bit more yeah. difficult uh, then you realize. I thought I was just going to come out, flash a degree, and, and you know, get a job. And it, it wasn't, you know, like that. And so, you know, I was working odd jobs, just trying to, you know, get by and everything. And, you know, this is kind of when the internet and social media is kind of coming about. And, you know, I, I, and I had created a website when I was in college. I did a little website design, actually, for my rap career at the time. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like selling like, you know, back in the day when people had actually CDs, you could burn your CDs. Yeah. I was selling like my CD online back in like, was it 1998 or whatever, you know, burning them on my desktop. Uh, So I had a little web design experience 
And really what happened was I was watching a, an NFL playoff game and, and Joe Buck had went off on Randy Moss of fake mooning uh, yeah. the Bay Packers crowd. And I got really upset about it because I thought he, you know, he, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And he really kind of just went off, you know, on him. I thought it was a little too personal. And I, I said to him, I remember saying to myself, man, I wish there was more, you know, black people in media that can kind of call this type of stuff out. Maybe they don't understand, you know, because how could Joe Buck understand Randy Moss? It's too different. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's when I got the idea to start a sports website. And back then, when you started a website, there was a big stereotype about bloggers. They were like big white yep. guys in the mama basement. You they never don't know anything. They didn't yeah. know anything. You never saw their faces. It was just the site. Because this is before Instagram and all of this stuff. So you never saw the site. You never saw the person who was running the site. And I had never been like that. I always been like a front-facing type of guy. So I'm like, I want to do something bold. I want to do something that stands out. I want to do something unapologetically black. Probably yeah. not the smartest business thing to think of, <laughs> but you know, I'm 24, 25 years old, so I, yeah. I don't know any better. So I'm like, I don't be black sports online. The first website had my face right on the front of yeah. the, the yep. header and everything. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this and this is going to be my thing. I'm going to be someone that's not afraid to be black and say, hey, I can talk about mainstream sports because that was something that wasn't really out there at the time. Yeah, so so you so you get the name, and you want it to be un, uh, unapologetic. But the reaction to that from the mainstream was, "Oh, this is uh, being that it's for black people." Now that makes it racist against white people or or anybody else. And I find that interesting that that it's not just in your lane, but in other lanes that we hear that. So, what was kind of the pushback from that, and how did people and how did you react to that? Well, people, like I said, they had the exact thing. Like, oh, this is just what's black sports, you know, or why is it you're just going to talk about black athletes or are you just going to talk bad about white people? So that was always the, the first pushback. But I always had a good answer for that. I'm like, you know, if you go to a HBCU, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you have something against, you know, white people. I mean, if, if, if you watch, if you're a white person, you watch BET, I mean, you can. I mean, it's not bad, yeah. you know, for, for from white people, you know, and I say I, I watch you know, if I watch something on Logo or I watch the home channel, you know, whatever, you know, you, you have options. It was never about separating it from any other cultures. What it was was giving those other cultures an opportunity to kind of see what we're thinking in our opinion. And it wasn't about my opinion being better than anybody else's. It's like you have an industry at the time and, and still now, which is heavily white males, you know, talking yep. about athletes that are majority black. So you, you had basically one opinion on one subject. I'm like, we needed a little more, you know, diversity. And I'm like, and I tell people all the time, they say, well, what if there was a white sports online? I'm like, that's society. That's how society is. Society is, is, is white sports online. It's white online. I'm like, people don't start things, you know, uh, you know, an Asian person doesn't start an Asian, you know, business because he doesn't want to cater to white people is that he doesn't have enough businesses that cater towards Asian people. And, yep. you know, like they don't, they didn't start an HBCU because they're like, Hey, we want a, a, a college for all black people. They started it because the white people wouldn't let them in, in their college. Exactly. And I said, that's why I started black sports online. It wasn't because, you know, I felt like, Hey, I needed to, you know, separate. It was like, there was no other way for me to get in besides, you know, doing it myself. Yeah, I think that's hard for people to like honestly admit. You're, they're like, okay, well, it's black sports online. It's for black black people. What if there's a white sports online? You're like, 
that's everything else. Oh, right. <laughs> that, that's the rest of the industry. So you don't need to call it anything else. Um, but your, your, your website is obviously there's been a big ev evolution. Mm -hmm. And now you do your co-host of TMZ Sports on FS1 and Harvey Levin, who started TMZ, he's changed it from just a gossip site to a legitimate news source. And that's the same thing I've seen with with uh, Black Sports Online is just this evolution of you can go there and you can trust the information there as opposed to some other sites. Like how important was that for you? Well, ideally, because I, I like to say I had classical training in media ideally it was never just to just throw up stuff i wanted to be a journalist this was kind of a backdoor way of getting into it but i also had to figure out a niche i had to figure out a way for people to come to the actual site you know yeah. because i wouldn't be able to do the other other things without it you know so i never had a problem you know saying that hey i want to dab into in entertainment you know i want to dab into some of this other cultural stuff that I know ESPN won't dive into. Um, and if you noticed over the years, the major, you know, the ESPNs, the SIs, they started to do more stuff like BSO than BSO has done stuff like them. You yeah. know, they, they're trying to be creative with the headlines and the titles and the tweets and stuff like the things that I've been doing for five, six, you know, seven years. But my point was I was always not going to be the guy that wrote all of these stories and sat back alone at home and would never face the people yeah. that I was writing about. So I always thought that's what gives me more credibility than some of these, you know, other sites that you can say is a little gossipy, however you want to call it, you know, but if I write about you, I'm available to you and not just available to, you know, have a Twitter war or anything like that. I'm available via phone, via email, via, you know, you want to interview me. I'm going to be at the games. I'm going to be, you know, on site you know, everything. So if you do have an issue or you have a problem or you want to discuss something with me, I was never going to hide behind the things. And I think that's the main difference between a lot of blogs that are websites that are similar to mine, but not like me is because those, they, they sit there and they write the same stuff, but you would never see them. You never know who's writing it. You never know who's making the, and I know it's frustrating for athletes. Yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Doctor, you can't you can't reach out to them. Yeah, because there's so much that's, you know, there's a lot of guessing. There's a lot of hyperbole and you don't get a chance to know the uh, truth. So when so when you get a story or or a tip, right, like if you're going to break some news or you or you hear something, where do you usually hear that from? Is it from the athlete? Is it usually from the agent? Or is it usually from some somebody who got a picture, a photograph or something like that? I tell people this all the time. If I just posted everything that came to me, then, you know, first off, I'd make a lot more money because it'd be some wild stuff that I get, you know, <laughs> about. But I've always had a line. I think you, you know, whoever, whatever company, whatever business you're in, you have to have a, a, moral, a moral line somewhere. Now, that doesn't yeah. mean everybody's going to agree with where your moral line is at. But for me, it's if you're not doing anything criminal and it's not public, I won't openly go out and embarrass an athlete because some girl is mad that he got cheated on her or had a baby with yeah. somebody else. I won't do that. Now, if that person publicly speaks on it, then, then I feel like yeah, it's that's different. Yeah. You know, that that's always been my, my, my line. So when I get tips and stuff, I don't really like to break news because to me, a lot of the stuff that I could break news on is not, like I said, it's not criminal. They're not doing anything wrong. I mean, it's not affecting anything that's happening on the court or on the field. So I let it go. Now, every once in a while, 
I get a tip and I feel like it's important to break news. Uh, you know, I, something like uh, when Jerry Jones had told the Cowboys players that if they kneel, there would be some consequences. Yeah. Right? I got that information from somebody who played for the Cowboys. It was yeah. rock solid. And I posted it. And then all of these, you know, media people said, well, that's not true. That's not true. This is bad information. And then Jerry Jones confirmed it like three days later and nobody apologized. To of course so, they don't apologize, <laughs> man. Because <laughs> so they didn't, yeah. they wanted to see if it was substantiated or not. Because yeah. the, first the Cowboys, they denied it. And then Jerry uh-huh. Jones, which which to his credit, even though I didn't necessarily like what, what, what he did, at least he owned what he did. Oh, to it. So I think that it helps with, my credibility is that some people just throw, you know, stuff on the wall and hope it sticks. Yeah. Some of it sticks. Up. I, I try not to do that. I try to stick to the news at hand. And if I do know something or I've heard something or I feel like it's solid, then I post it. And, and I think the track record is kind of backed up from that. Yeah. Like, so that, that'll get me to the next question. Are you proud of what you do? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know people ask me, ask me that all the time. And I remember I got into a big, argument with uh i can't remember his name right now he's running back uh for the texans back in the day uh what is this arian foster arian foster right arian foster yeah i got a big argument uh with arian foster because he wanted me to do his podcast because he's mad about uh that he was i think he was married and the girl he had got some girl pregnant she had went to tmz and said she named the baby after the club that they met in and he got mad at me for some reason even though i wasn't the one that did the story but we had a a big you know, I wouldn't even say argument. It was just him yelling at me because he was like, how can you be proud of that? How can you do all of this? How can you say all of this? I got a family. I got kids and all of that stuff. And I understood. I mean, I felt his pain, but I also said, well, you know, you maybe should take a little responsibility for what you did. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it's not out there, if she's not talking, then I don't know anything about it. It would be like Earl Thomas saying it's my fault that, you know, this story came out yeah. about him. Like, I get, and that's what I get from time to time from, from athletes is they're upset at me. but For publishing something that's out that's in out the there. open. Right. If you and get I, arrested, I mean, people are going to want to know why. Right. And, and that, so when people say, well, are you proud of what you do? I'm like, well, I'm proud of the fact that there's nothing that I put out there in my mind that I just put out there just to embarrass somebody else. Because to me, that would be foul. You know, I'm like, yeah. oh, it's, a, it's police reports, it's people posting information, it's out there for the public. And then I'm proud of the fact that I use my outlet, not just for my own personal gain, but also to try to help put people in the industry. And that's yeah. the part that, you know, I'm, I'm proud of. Do I care about Kendall Jenner and, and Ben Simmons? No, I don't. But people like it. And, yeah. saying, and some stuff to me is dating stuff and like that is Pretty, I mean, harmless in the yeah. grand scheme of things. <laughs> yeah, because uh, some some people will say what you do is scuzzy or, mm-hmm. you know, you're breaking up families, you're breaking up homes. But as a person who's done things that could have been on, on Black Sports Online and being more mature, I look at it now, I'm like, the acts themselves, like, it's my responsibility to either A, not get caught, or B, just not do things that are going to break up my, my, my family. Like, I'm a firm believer. What's done in the dark comes to the light. So you don't have a choice. It's coming out at some point in time. Like, take personal responsibility and don't blame the people who are just reporting on what you did. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's why I never really, like I said, I've never gone out of my way. And I hear a lot of stuff 
about a lot of people, okay? I never go on out of my way. And I know some sites, they don't care. If they hear it, they run with it. They, they put, you, you know, you're protected as a media person. You put rumor or allegedly, and all yeah. of a sudden, they really can't say much, you know, to you. And if, if to me, it's like, if it's public, then to me, it, I don't know why you would be mad at me because I'm not, I didn't break it. I didn't put it out there. You know, it was already out there for the people. So that's why I say, there's, people sometimes say, well, you're a snitch or you're this. I'm like, you can't snitch on something that's already out there. You know, yeah. are you profiting off people's pain? Are you pro? I mean, yes, I would imagine. I mean, uh, but the pain. Here's the thing: if 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 NBC or whatever or whatever CBS, right? If they're showing a video of a black guy getting shot in the in the street, right? They're profiting off of that. There's money to be made, you know, off that. They they do ten stories off of that. They're not doing it for free. When them ads come up on their YouTube videos, you know, for that, it's not free. So to me, I think that's a, that's a fine line. I mean, I don't think you want to feel like, hey, I'm, you know, I want people to do bad. I want bad things to happen, you know, so I can make money off of it. I never, I never feel good. I don't ever say some, a black athlete gets arrested, like, woohoo, that's money for me. You know, I, yeah. I would, I, preferably, I would just rather talk about regular stuff. That's why when people say, Rob, you always talk about racism or you always talk about negative stuff. I'm like, preferably, nobody would want to talk about that if they didn't have to talk about it. I would prefer yeah. to keep things light. So as far as profiting off people's pain, I mean, it's just the news. I mean, if you're gonna be mad at me about it, then you literally would have to be mad about every single news agency in the world. Well, so as a person who looks at the data, the analytics on traffic, and, and it seems like the, the negative stories are what drive the drive clicks, drive readership, all of a, that. So how do you balance that with trying to be, you know, with, with trying to live in the lane that you really want to live, live in, but you do have, you, you are running a business. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, I mean, they tell you at school, you know, sex sales, the cover ups bigger than the crime. All of those are out been out there for, for years, you know, because that's true. People, People say they don't like certain things, but what I found through the research and through the analytics, like you say, is whatever people say they don't like, that's always the most popular stuff. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. That always gets the most attention. It's like Takashi 69 Everybody hates Takashi 69 right? He's a snitch. Yeah. He's this, he's that. As soon as he goes on you know, Instagram Live, it's 2 million people on there. As soon as he put a video up, it's 10 million views. So which one, you know, is it? To me, I think the most important thing is that you also stay true to yourself, you know, if I just stayed in that lane where it's just the popular stories, I would make more money. I would, you know, I'll be doing better for myself. But to me, it's like, okay, what else, if I'm profiting off this part, what else can I do? Well, if I see something, you know, if I see discrimination or if I see people doing, saying crazy stuff in media, if I feel like, you know, is, this is not getting enough coverage, what can I do to help us? You know, as long as I'm balancing that out, I, I sleep well, you know, at night because I know some people just don't care. They just, yeah. just roll with the other stuff and just go with it. Yeah. So, um, like, how much of the – because you said that you don't necessarily uh, post everything that you get. How much of it stays on the cutting room floor and in your DMs or in your text messages and all of that? It's probably at least two to three stories a day uh that i that i come across that i choose not to to post for various you know reasons and if i choose not to post they're normally if i did post it it would end up having causing a lot of you know traffic but like i say you got to have a line 
you know, somewhere. You know, oh, so all right. So with without di- disclosing the uh, parties, what yeah. are some of the craziest stories that you have heard? Well, there's a couple of factual stories that I have. I mean, there, I, let me see what's the best way to say this without uh, giving up any any names. Let's just say there was an athlete that had, you know, got in trouble in the past for something, right? And never wanted that to come up again. So one of the things that they did was, is when they would have quote unquote relations, uh, they would make the young lady sign a paper and, and all of this other stuff to make sure they never got in trouble. Sounds like they're, they're Jeter. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, let's say it wasn't Jeter, but yeah, yeah. But let's just say one of the ladies was able to sneak in a camera, okay? Uh-huh. And was able to, you know, do some video. And I saw some of the video. And trust me, if, the, if it would have came out, based off what had happened in the past, it would have been out of control, right? But to me, it wasn't, it, first off, it's legal. I thought you're legally recording somebody, so yeah. I didn't want to be caught up in that. And furthermore, you know, what per- people do, weird stuff they do behind, and let's just say some, it was some weird stuff that was going on behind closed doors. That, I mean, that's, that's their business. I mean, a lot of times I get ultrasounds that say, hey, this is such and such, the baby, but he won't talk to me. Doesn't want to give me any money. <laughs> they think like, oh man, that was Alexa, scared me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who's that talking in the back? Uh, so uh, yeah, so I mean, I get stuff. I get stuff like I, you know, no, the, the the really ones I hate is when I get an email and it's dick pictures. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, you're like, I didn't ask for this. You, you know, like, you probably feel like a woman who gets them in their Snapchat yeah. or whatever, and they'd be like, I didn't. Nobody solicited this. Yeah, they're, they're unsolicited. Like, hey, they'd be like, hey, I got some pictures of X, Y, Z, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe they were out at the club or something like that, and it's just penises, and I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> ah, so you can identify people by their by their uh, like, unit. Come on, like, yeah. <laughs> So for some reason, women, I guess, think when they've been scorned, this is the best way to get by. I'm like, look, you got to go to go to media takeout or boss up or something with that. I don't, that's not that's not what I'm going to do. <laughs> OK, so speaking of media takeout, world star hip hop, your your website is different than those. Like oh. you actually report stories. There are a lot of pages to click through, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's just to pay the bills. So how do you like? How do you view those sites? I mean, is it is it competition? Are you guys friendly? Do you guys talk? Like, is there? You know, what I mean, oh, I think it's competition with all all media sites. We all want our piece of the the, the pie. Um, I've always tried to be one that, that doesn't attack other people in media. Like, yeah. I just don't feel like, I mean, every, every, that seems, you know, it's just kind of weird to me. Like, you know, I don't like such and such. I, you know, I want every, especially if they're black owned, I want everybody to, to, to succeed. You know, I do feel like I'm, I'm totally different um, than those sites because, you know, it, a media takeout, you, you don't know who's writing those stories. You no know idea. No you idea. Know, you know, a world star, you don't see world star at, at, at events and stuff. Even some of the, that if we even even take like the non you know black uh you know websites you know like a like a bar stool and, and things like that i think i'm you know different than, than them uh you know like a big lead i mean i think I, I think i do different i do different things you know i've always yeah. from day one i mean i wanted to be a guy that you know could, could go to an nba finals and be able to ask steph and lebron uh, a, a basketball legit basketball question and then come right back out and say, hey, here was the groupie that was at the game with, you know, with Rihanna and all of that stuff. I always wanted to do both. I always felt that 
unfortunately, black you know black people in general, they try to put us in a box. You yep. only do it one way. Like you have to be a, you know a, this way. You have to be this way. This way. So people say, oh, you want to be a journalist? You got to be this way. I was like, I'm gonna be my way and see yeah. what happens. See, uh, I I remember the first time I saw you in an NBA presser in in oh. the press conferences. I was watching TV because I'm I'm a big NBA playoffs postseason uh, press conference watcher. And I looked, I was like, look at Rob. Okay, <laughs> that, 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 that was my you made it moment. That's what it was for me. <laughs> um, yeah. So how are you received by the players that, that, that know? Because, you know, because you brought, brought up some other sites that didn't, I mean, like World Star and um, Media Takeout that have made it, but then you had the lipstick alleys and all this stuff that were failed. So how do the NBA players and players in general respond to you when they see you out in public or, or at the press conferences? You know, they, they all know who I am, right? They, they, they all know BSO. And, 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 you know, I'm sure they, they look at the articles and, and things like that. But I think they respect the fact that I'm there. And I think they also respect the fact, and I have to tell people this because people don't understand it. It's like time and place. There are time and place for certain stories, certain questions, certain, you know, activities and things like that, right? You know, I'm not, people say, I'm not going to go at the NBA finals, right? And ask Tristan Thompson about Khloe Kardashian. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's dirty. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I think people don't understand that. I'm like, you know, there's time and places, you know, for certain things. And I think they respect that. They're like, hey, I know my public life is, is, is like this, but we're talking about the game right now. And I think showing the ability to say, hey, you know this, I know, when me and LeBron have our, our back and forth mm-hmm. at the finals, he respects the fact that because LeBron is a – and you got to read the players too. You know what I mean? Like LeBron is a, a basketball intellectual. So if you just ask him something, he, he deems it stupid from a basketball officer, he won't answer or he'll talk down to you. Yeah. You know, so when I ask LeBron a question, I'm asking him X's and O's and asking him his opinion on how – this and that went, and I think he, res- he respects that, you know, even though he knows I've, you know, made fun of his hairline, you know, back in the day or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think you have to, you, just like any business, they have to respect that you know what you're doing. And I think you have to just be professional. I think that's what people don't understand is that people are so much on social media and Twitter and they think that's how people are. 90% of the things happen behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, they don't understand that I've been working the NBA behind the scenes for years to get that opportunity, you know, showing them my work, showing them my I traffic, showing them this, you know, giving them examples of what I would do before they would give me the opportunity. And when you have the opportunity, you have to make the most yep. of it because, you yeah, know, because everybody wants credentials and they're hard right. to come by at first. Yeah. And you know, you know how it is with us, we, you know, with black people, you may not get another, a second chance. So you yep. got to knock it out the park the first time. And, and, and that's why I try to stress, to all young, you know, black journalists is when you get an opportunity, knock it out the park. Yeah. So the uh, the uh, last, I think, scandalous question is: uh, <laughs> how many a- athletes, how many checks have you received from uh, managers or athletes or whoever to not uh, put out a story? You know, I try not to get into that because you don't want your integrity compromised, right? Yeah. So I mean, what I will do is I listen. You know, because I will, you know, I don't try to take money. I don't try to extort the guys or anything like that. I'm like, a lot of times the manager, the athlete, the PR person or whatever. Like, for instance, I give you just an example of just what happened at the NFL draft. The one, the one kid got mad 
that I called his, uh, he got a girl, he called a baby mama, right? Yeah. He, he got mad, I called his girlfriend a baby mama, and he was really upset. He called me all this stuff out, you know, on Twitter and all of that stuff happens all the time, not a big deal. But, you know, their PR people were like, you know, this is probably not what we want during the draft, you know, time, you yeah. know. Can you, you know, take it down? Can you do this? And I'm like, you know something? I don't have a problem with the guy. I call it a girlfriend. It's not a big deal. Like, he didn't have to call me trash. Yeah. You know, so if he takes that back, then I take, you know, this back. So yeah. I'm, I think I'm reasonable, and that's why people get along, you know, with BSO. Yeah. They know they can talk to me, and I'm not trying to be an asshole or anything about it. I, You know, I, so I don't try to take money from or anything. If I said something wrong or they want to clarify something, you know, I put their comment in. I've deleted, I've deleted posts from athletes that say they were old posts. And they're like, look, man, I'm trying to get in the media. I'm trying to do real estate yeah. or whatever it is. And I got this old article about me getting a DUI or something like that five years ago and it's coming up. I just delete it because it's yeah. not helping me. And, you know, and I don't, I'm not out to, you know, her brothers yeah, anything yeah, like and that, that and that five-year-old post ain't ain't bringing in no, bringing in no money, right? So <laughs> if they say it in a nice way, I'm like, hey, no, no problem, man. You know, good yep. luck on you, whatever you're doing. So you are now married. Yes, you have a baby on the way. So, so congratulations. And like, so why now? Like, why at this point in time have you decided to go down that that route? Yeah, it was, I mean, it wasn't planned. <laughs> I mean, I would, and I say not planned in the sense that when I moved to L.A., uh, my thing was, you know, I'm good. I'm living a bachelor life. I'm being Hollywood yeah. and, and all of this stuff. You know, I really had no inkling, you know, of that. You know, when you get a little older, you really, you know, when you get older, you know what you like. You know what yeah. you don't like. You know what you will put up with, what you wouldn't put up with. And I really just didn't have any inkling of anything and I think that was the best thing that happened to me because when I met my my future wife I had no expectations I just was like hey this is a very nice person this is a very cool person I you know really love spending time with her and it just happened naturally you know what I mean yeah like I it wasn't planned I wasn't putting any pressure on myself and then like she's the person and like yeah. this is, in all in my mind like this is the way it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to feel, you know? Shouldn't feel pressured or anything like that. And she's just so perfect. I mean, like, she's the greatest thing, you know, of all time. And I'm like, this is ideally, you know, what someone would want when they're starting a family, to be married, you know, be financially secure, have a yeah. career, uh, you know, because, you know, you want your child to grow up in the most positive environment you know of all time and you know that's you know so not to be all cliche but you get the, the wife the kid the white picket fence and you think sometimes you think it's unrealistic but then it happens and you're like i'm as happy as i've ever been yeah so how how has that changed you and your business or how you approach things you know the one thing that has changed is is and there's probably a, a combination of things you know you get older uh you accomplish some things you, you meet someone you get married some of the things that bothered me like early in my career, some of the, the things that I worried about, uh, it doesn't bother me anymore. There's bigger things that are going on. Like I don't get in as, as many, you know, little Twitter beefs, you know, yeah. I don't call out as much people as I used to. I don't really engage as much as I used to. And I think also, I think I learned that there was a time that I was so focused on making BSO a success that that's all I did. It was literally my life. I feel like it was literally, yeah. 24 7 365 that's all i did that's all i focused on that's where i 
felt my worth was at was within it was it was like too connected almost and you know meeting her and, and seeing this different way of living it, it makes me okay to turn off the laptop put the phone down not worry about staying up to three two two three in the morning to make sure i get every single story and it's just really mellowed me you know out and honestly because of it i have less stress i don't get as many headaches and stuff anymore it's like i feel serenity you know yeah. now before and i think only a, a fan you know family and and being happy can do that for you well so okay so 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 family is that what was your family is that what was modeled for you when you were young was that that nuclear family was that what you had no you know my, my mom and my dad was never married um and i stayed in st louis missouri with basically my mom and my grandma you know growing up through through college and my dad was uh in another state he was in he was in ohio uh, and i'm an only child so i don't have brothers or sisters or anything like that so it's kind of just always me <laughs> Yeah, And, you know, it was kind of always dependent on just myself. And, I, you know, I, I think it's, that's a good thing in certain ways because you learn to be independent. You learn how to take care of yourself. You, you, you have a drive to, to be successful. Because my, my main thing in life was not making a, a bunch of money, you know, not, you know, doing a, my main is, I know it may sound weird. My, my, my main fear growing up was I didn't want to be a failure. You know, I didn't want to just be, so many of my friends, they just, they went through life and they just, nobody knows them. It's just, it, that was a big fear of mine. Like, I, I yeah. felt like I had talent, felt like I was smart, felt like I had something to give to society. And I just didn't want to be a failure. Um, and I didn't want to disappoint my mom and disappoint my dad. And, and, and it, it drove me, but I think it actually made it difficult for me to have, you know, relationships, you know, because I never, I, I, I had a, I just had a, I was just kind of scorned. And so I didn't feel like real, like I didn't feel like marriages and, and families like that. You know, a lot of the people that I knew, like they were never happy in their relationship, even if they were married. So I had yeah. such a negative feeling about it. I think it, for a very long time, it, it, it held me back from having a real, truly meaningful, you know, relationship. And now my eyes are open and I'm not so cynical anymore. I was like, just so cynical about yeah. relationships. And now I'm like, Hey, you got, you know, it could happen. If it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. Yeah. How many other black men do you think that because of them growing up, like yeah. a, like a, there, there's a kid that I mentored has turned into my little brother. His dad has a bunch of kids, all that. And he never even has, he was like, I don't even know married people. I don't need, and then the ones that I have met don't seem very happy. So like yeah. how many other young men do you think have, are going through through this and it's reflected in music they hear it like how do you think that that's affecting the black community too i i think it's a it's a it's a terrible thing i really do and i would say mine was a, a mild you know case because at least my dad you know was around uh but it's just i just i wish uh that we would understand that we can you know we can be happy but you know it's it's, it's so it's a, such a deep level thing because i think happiness you know how to say money can't buy you happiness. I think that's that's true. But you know, money also provides you with certain things that at least allow you to maybe get to to happiness. Because it's hard to be happy in a relationship if you're worried about your rent, you're worried about your yeah. job, you're worried about how you're gonna feed your kids and all of this other stuff. And then you don't have time to you know have this relationship with this other person because there's so much stress 
yeah. um, you know, in, in their life. And I think that's, that's what you see. And then when stress is in your life, you make bad decisions and, and, and things like that. I think the best, one of the best things about my wife is her mom and, and, and her dad, he's passed away, but her mom and her dad, they were married for 30 years. Yeah. So for her, it was like, this is what, you know, this is how it should be. I yeah, should this is normal. This yeah, this is Right. And, and it wasn't like they were married for 30 years and everything was perfect. It was like her dad said, hey, I married this woman. I have a responsibility. You know, when I say to sickness and health and death do us part, I, I meant it. It meant something to him and it meant something, you know, to her. So to me, marrying her was like I knew she when she married me that she meant it for life because that was the example that she was set up. And I'm like, so now before when I was like, hey, don't ever get married, guys, don't ever do this because I had such a negative attitude up, I'm different now. I'm like, yeah. find you the right person, find you someone that understands you and, and try to make it, you know, work because that'll help the next generation of, you know, people. Yeah. How many, like, like black, black men, I think that we have this image of women of, you know, how that, that she's got to be, be perfect and put up with our imperfections at, at the same time. So I think the standard is weird. So how, how do you think that like music and media in particular kind of affect the black community? And then also this kind of women's empowerment issue, I'm not well, issue, but the women's empowerment movement, that's actually, it kind of looks like kind of normalizing male behavior that should not be acceptable anyway. Yeah. I think when you're young, especially you're so impressionable and our images of, of young black men, at least the ones, and, and I always say, you know, we have role models. Your role models should be people that you actually know. It shouldn't be NBA young boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, NBA young boy is not anybody's role yeah. model. He, he needs yeah. a role model himself. Yeah, right, and you see all these young people, and this is, they see it, and like you said, it kind of normalizes this. And I wasn't different from that when I was young, you know. You know, that's what you see. And I think social media, it's a beautiful thing. I, I wouldn't be able to be where I'm at without, you know, social media. I wouldn't be able to meet the people and the site wouldn't be, but social media has such a negative impact because first off, I think for women, you see all these women that have naked all the time on Instagram and all, and you think I have to be like that. There's so much shallowness to it. And as a man, yeah. now you're seeing these images all the time and you, uh, uh, some, and it makes it seem like every, they're perfect. You know, and you don't realize that relationship has really very little to do with how someone looks. It's yeah. how you deal with them on a on a day to day, you know, basis. So I don't have a good answer, you know, for it because it seems to you know you shouldn't be like, hey, future is my idol in regards to how he deals with women. That's not that's like not how, like how right. he's never had a successful relationship. Right. But then you like, well, Russell Wilson is lame. I'm like. I think Russell Wilson is what you're trying to get to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you know, so the, the thing that frustrates me more than when I see people say celebrities are relationship goals. I'm like, you don't know what's going on first off behind yep. the scenes. And a relationship goal should be not, it should be your goals. It should be whatever makes you and your person happy, not trying to fit in a box of, of somebody else. Yeah, so you bring up Russell Wilson, and I've always had a problem with it as a guy who, you know, I got a 
scholarship to go to private school and high school, well-spoken, read things, and to be called, oh, George is acting white, this, and that Russell Wilson is lame. I'm like, no, Russell Wilson is the gold, bro. Yeah. Like, Steph Curry is the gold. These are dope dudes who regularly, uh, at least for, for what we know, turn down doing the easy thing, which is, you know, having all sorts of women and having all, and, and uh, concentrating on what is important the most to them. Like, I, uh, I don't understand that. Well, I always say sometimes within our community, negativity is the, what's praised and positivity is looked down upon or success is looked down upon. I, I'm not, I mean, that always goes, that goes back to, I remember when I went to elementary school, uh, if you were smart, and it was all black elementary school. If you were smart, you get bullied into whatever. And then I went to a high school that was predominantly white high school. And I'm like, wait a minute, the smart people are like popular. Yeah. <laughs> you know? The smart people are like, they're getting awards and people are talking nice to them. They have a lot of friends and stuff. I'm like, something's not right about this. You know, you would think, you know, being smart is not a bad, I, that's when I realized, hey, being smart is not a bad thing. Yes. It's actually a good thing, you know, because I remember I used to try to, I was pretty bright in elementary school. I was dumb myself down yep. because you get called so many names and all of this stuff i'm like it shouldn't be like that so a lot of it's a mentality until we lose the mentality the negativity of the mentality i don't think much can change but i, I hope that it does so in, in in your like family life your trend transition who have been your mentors in terms of your your family life and being been a husband being been a man and then who have been your business mentors you know you know even though my my dad you know wasn't around probably as much as i wanted him to be he was always there you know what i'm saying he was always encouraging he was always you know helpful if i had to call he would always pick up the phone you know, it, it, even though maybe that seems like a little bit, at least for people in my neighborhood, that was uh, that was a lot, yeah, uh, a lot more than what they were getting uh, someone else. As I as I grew up, you know, my mentors and everything, because it became so entwined, my life became so entwined with my business. They became like you know the people within the the business, and you know it was so gratifying and happy to me if someone like a David Aldridge yeah. would spend five minutes of his time talking to me and saying, hey, you know, I like what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. You know, just stuff like that. Michael Wilbon, uh, you know, Bamani Jones, you know, these, these type of black men in, in media, uh, black women in media, Jamel Hill, uh, Carrie Champion, you know, they all would support, you know, and you don't see that sometimes a lot, you know, yeah. kind of like you're supporting each other with, within, within the industry. And now I have, you know, kind of like this network of, of people that you know if something happens i remember when i took the tmz or i was considering taking a tmz job you know they had just had that situation with van you know lathan yeah uh, you know which was you know a separate you know situation that that he you know was having and i was really struggling with the fact that hey i don't you know want to look like first off that i'm replacing him or taking his job yeah and second, like i'm some sort of token you know just because they're trying to replace one black guy with another black guy, you know, even though they yep. had, I had made it clear to them that, you know, if you're, if you, if you're hiring me, you're hiring Rob from BSO. You're not just hiring me just to, you know, be some token black guy. And they gave me assurances, but to be able to speak to other people in the industry uh, and be able to talk to them and have them kind of give me counsel and give me advice and tell me what they expect. And then when I actually did take the job to see the support 
uh, that I got from those people, it, it really meant, you know, a lot, you know, to me. It showed yeah. me that, hey, you know, they can support Van and his next projects and everything. They can support, you know, me and they understand why I'm trying to do this, trying to get on TV and help my profile and everything. And, and stuff like that's really, I think it's a close-knit community of us that are in the industry that are really trying to make a, a change. See, I think that w what you did was important, like being open, honest, and transparent, because a lot of people don't have those standards. Like you wanted to make sure that this was not like, oh, I want to replace one black guy with another black guy. You were like, no, let's, let's make sure that this is done the proper way when you have so many people that are willing to step on other people right. just to, you, you know, almost like crossing the picket line. Right, exactly. And, and you know, I, I've reached out to Van, you know, like to me, like it's, it's a lot of sucker stuff that goes on in media, a lot yeah. of staff in the back. And I just, I don't like, I didn't want to be like that. Like, I felt like it was a huge, you know, opportunity because we're talking about network, you know, yeah. television. And, and my goal is always to be, be on network television. I mean, to go from writing a little blog, you know, to being on FS1, that's a huge type of, you know, step. But I yeah. also never... I never ever want to feel like, you know, like I'm Jason Whitlock or anything like that. You know yep. what I mean? So my thing was first, let me talk to him, see what he's thinking or what he's, how he feels about it. Let me talk to some other people. And then, like I said, I made it clear to Harvey. I'm like, Harvey, like, you know, cause he comes down to him. He makes all the decisions. I'm like, I'm going to be, I, you know, I can't do it if I can't be myself. That means I'm going to disagree with some of the stuff that you guys probably say or do or something like that, but that's who you're getting because my audience will know. They will know if I... Yeah, they'll hey, be like, oh, you fake out here, Rob. Fake. I thought you yeah. said this. Right, and and it, to their credit, they said, hey, listen, we know these are some controversial topics that we're going to talk about. It's going to get heated, and they're like, that's fine. We want you to be yourself, and I think people who were on the fence a little bit, they watched the show, and they're like, it's the same stuff Rob says on BSO, the same stuff Rob says on Twitter or on his live stream. He goes on national television and he's willing to say that, hey, cops shouldn't be shooting black people or, you know, yeah. or, or Miles Garrett, you know, and, and Mason Rudolph, you know, is, it, there are some racial elements. So he's willing yeah. to say the things and not just go lock and key with whatever, you know, they're saying. And, and it's yeah. been, you know, I, thought, I think it's been really good. Yeah, and and you mentioned the guy who comes up in private conversations a lot amongst black people, which is Jason Whitlock. Right. And uh, he just said something about, uh, I think, Ahmad Ar Arbery, about LeBron's comments about uh, Ahmad Ar Arbery, the kid that got shot in Georgia by the, by the two white guys in the pickup truck on, on the video that came out and all that. And, and I, so I've worked with Whitlock at FS1. And it's just always interesting to me, kind of, kind of the evolution of of him, and it seems like, like, he's been successful, but like, how do you, like, I, I guess, wrestle with the being being successful with being invited to the cookout, right. and and is it a stick or is this just like, do you hate yourself? Like, where do you land on these things, and how do you uh, balance them in your own life? It's it's. It's very frustrating to me because the one thing I remember I talked to uh, Lisa Salters a long time ago. Yeah, uh, remember they used to make fun of uh, Pam uh, uh, Oliver's hair. hair. Yep. Yeah, and I remember I talked to Lisa Salters and she told me this story about you know Pam like crying and and how it affected her and it was black people talking about black people and there's not a lot of us in media 
And she really advised, she didn't tell me, she just advised like, like, if you have a opportunity, don't do it. Like don't yeah. pile on, you know, another black media person because you don't know what, how they paved the way, you know, for whatever. Yeah. So I, I tried when that happens with like a, these, you know, be it Stephen A or who I try to stay away, you know, from it because I'm like, there's still black men in media and, and we don't, they like when we fight each other. Yep. You know, and the thing with Whitlock is I feel like I know what he's doing. Like he feels like this is the way that he needs to get attention. Um, unfortunately, the way he needs to get attention, you know, causes bigger damage uh, to, you know, our community than yep. maybe he even cares about. But it, it, I fight the, the the urge to engage him because I think that's what he wants. Yep. And but I, but it's like if you don't say anything, it's like are, are you being complicit? You're being complicit in it, and I think he understands that problem. And and I think you know I don't know what happened. I think something happened with Whitlock within the industry where he just stopped caring, and, and he found out that there's a niche for people who are black who like to take shots at other you know black people. Uh, and I don't know if he wants to be Candace Owens. I don't know if he's you know wants a job at Fox News when you know the sports stuff is over. But he's willing to 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 make that sacrifice. And unfortunately, I think it doesn't just hurt. It doesn't hurt him. It hurts everybody else. Yeah. And and it's not even that it makes me mad. It just makes me sad because yep. it's so hard to get those jobs and get those positions and to have to fight amongst each other. You know, it, it's just it's disappointing. You know, to me. Yeah. Well, well, that that's why even though sometimes I do engage with him, I, I think that you brought up a great point. Like I never call him out of his name. I never this because I do have respect for him and his craft. Because Whitlock is a smart guy. He's been a phenomenal writer. I don't I don't agree with a lot of the stuff he says, but. It, you, like, like you can't say that he's not smart and well, well reasoned, even if you don't always agree with it. So I don't want to attack him because I try to attack, I try to solve problems with love as opposed to, you know, because if you attack him as a person, then they, then they dig in as opposed right. to, you know, attacking the argument, which is different. Right, and then sometimes you have to wonder, and I, and I, I, I try to take this into consideration. Do some people really want? to have a conversation and actually listen, or do they just want to fight? You know what I mean? And, and yeah. drive, go viral and stuff like that. And I really fight that urge because I'm willing to listen. Like if so, if I say something and somebody doesn't agree with it and we can go back and forth and have an intelligent conversation, we may agree to disagree, but I won't just dismiss what you're doing. I think yeah. we've got to the point, especially on social media where we don't really want to talk. We want to fight, you know, we yeah. want to engage. We want retweets we want people talking about us and everything and it doesn't accomplish anything and i used to deal with people like that and i find myself after arguing with them for four hours sitting back and like <laughs> i wish i had that four hours <laughs> back of my life because it accomplished absolutely nothing besides people sitting back and basically laughing at both of us for going back and egging us on yeah oh yeah yeah because it's almost like the dave Chappelle argument where when Dave Chappelle left Com Comedy Central uh, because he felt like the wrong people were laughing at his jokes for the wrong reasons. And I think that, you know, as a as a black man that you have really have to be careful of that. Um, you started the term the dollar 
Mm. The uh, it, it, and I looked at it like a almost like a, a term of like hustlenomics almost like that. It was a term for somebody who was starting on the ground floor and was like, listen, I'm going to take this dollar and I'm going to like make the most of it. So what does the dollar there mean? See, a lot of people, you, you got it. See, a lot of people think it means, you know, money. It's not really a monetary type of thing. It's more of a, a mentality type of thing. It's like, you know, you hear millionaires and I want to make all this money and all of this stuff. My thing was that dollar is just, that all it means really is just, you know, being yourself. Because it doesn't matter if you got a dollar, doesn't matter if you got a million dollars or a hundred dollars or whatever. If you're not true to yourself, you can't look at yourself in the mirror, then you're not worth anything in my mind. So my thing was like, listen, what you get from me, no matter from, from day one to day 5,000, no matter if I don't have any money, if I got a whole bunch of money, you're going to get the same me. I want to be the same person. I'm not going to get too big for my britches. And the reason I came up with that was because I actually came up with it after I, I, I think early in my career when I was having some success. I still didn't have any money, but I was having some success and I was getting a little bit of a big head. And somebody that I trusted came to me and said, you know something, if your social media persona is actually better than your real life, you're not living right. Cause that's not Ooh. real. That's, that's not, that's not, that's not, a re- that's, that's not real. This is a, that's a fantasy. You're, you're portraying a persona, a role, but that's not really you. And it really hit me, you know, hard. Like, you know, what happened when everything, when everything shut off, the phone shut off, the laptop shut off, what's happening in real life, that's the realization of it all. You know, are you being real or are you portraying, you know, a role? So my thing was always the whole dollar and everything was like, Hey, you know, the people that are real, I respect everybody. You know, it doesn't matter if you got five followers or five million followers. If, if I see you on the street and you say you like my stuff, I'll talk to you the same way. If the head of ESPN says they like my stuff, I just want to treat everybody the same. And I wanted people to know that I'm always going to be the same no matter you know what happens. Well, so, okay. So you are like, so the dollar there, when it, when it first came, as you admit, you didn't have money at that point, point yeah. in time. Now, <laughs> now, now your site is, is very successful. And you're and you're no longer technically in the dollar and air tax bracket. So how do you maintain, you know, like you said, being you and being authentic when yes, your life does change and you're supposed to evolve? You, you know what what happened? What happened was when I did first get out of the dollar and air bracket, because at that point in my life, all I wanted to do was get out of the dollar in their bracket. I yeah. And it wasn't like sort of floss or anything like that. It was like, I just happy I could pay the bills. I could yeah. pay a rent. I could pay a car note on time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's all I wanted. So when I got out of that, that part of it, and I started to have a little extra, you know, where I can, you know, do some things and had a little cushion and stuff, I assumed that life would be great. You know, I'd be super happy and everything. But then, I realized that's the whole money doesn't buy you happiness thing is that, yeah, I, I had solved one problem, but that really has nothing to do with your happiness internally. Yeah, none. And, yeah. and I still wasn't, you know, happy. I was able to pay my bills. I was able to take a flight. I was able to have a nice hotel or whatever that may be. But I was not a, a happy, you know, person. I mean, I, I, my life didn't feel fulfilled. And that's really when it came to me that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you don't have people around you that love you. You don't, you don't love certain people. You're not living the, the right way. All the other stuff doesn't matter. It's empty. You know, what's the point yeah. of having a suite at the hotel 
if you know there's nobody around, there's nobody to share it with, and, and, and things like that. And that's where my mentality started changing. I would say towards friendships, relationships, and things like that because I had got to a point where I would say I was successful and I was doing really well, you know, for myself financially, but I was still alone, you yeah. know, and, and and that's not a good place, you know, to be. So I, I actually. I would rather make less money and and be in a place like I'm in right now in a happy place uh, with my wife and my family and the friends and the people that I really love than where I was, you know, say four or five years ago where I, I had all the money, you know, but I was just alone and didn't really have anybody to share it with. Yeah. So now black, black sports online, BSO is able to employ other yeah. people. Like, mm -hmm. like I noticed that you don't write all the stories in any anymore that you have other, other people. Like, how has that growth been? And what is it like? Or do you feel a sense of pride uh, in being able to employ other young journalists at this point in time? Well, from day one, because of the struggle that I had coming out of college and the struggle that I had trying to get BSO off the ground and the struggle that I had getting these leagues and networks and, and people to, to take me seriously. One of the things that I always wanted to do was take people uh, of my age or when I started and things like that and try to help them so they don't have to deal with that type of struggle. Build up a site so well that I can get them on the ground, you know, running. That was always the, because once again, it, getting the money, getting the fame, getting the attention and all of that, it's great. But if you're not giving back, you know, it's not really fulfilling to me. So out from day one, I always tried to bring people in, bright people, smart people. A lot of times I would bring people in that didn't have like really a lot of experience and I would coach them up. I like thinking of myself as like a Bill Belichick. You know, I would, yeah. try, uh, you know, I, I would try to coach them up. I, you know, I would take the brunt of any negativity and things like that while it's kind of shielding them, but then also giving them, you know, tips and everything because I always say BSO, I mean, we're still independent. It's just like being on like a, anything independent, independent record label or whatever it may be. You want them, you know, you want your videos to look better. You know, so I'm yeah. like, I always wanted them to always feel like, hey, this is a stepping stone to get you to where you want to, to get to go. And that, that, that hasn't changed, you know, to this day. There, I mean, there, we, the, this, this last year, I mean, we had a 19-year-old a being a full-time beat reporter for the Tennessee Titans. Like, that was his dream. Like yeah. he's 19 years old and he's talking to Vrabel and all of these people and stuff like that. I'm like, by the time you finish college and you're 22, 23 oh, years Oh, he's going to be ready to hit the ground running, boy. I'm like, you're going to be able to put that resume out there. And unlike me and all these other people that come out of college didn't do anything, you'll be like, hey, I was a beat reporter for this. I used to cover this. I would have went to the, the draft and the Super Bowl and all this stuff. You'll be able to name your job. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And, and that's, really what what i'm trying to do is that give them real experience not just yeah I, some some sites just let people write that doesn't work anybody can write these stories they're not like super complicated you know stories yeah you know, we're not writing five thousand word essays and anything's like or editorials i'm like but to get there and be in a press conference and playoff game and and being at practice and learning the ins and out of actually being a media person that experience is invaluable and that's really what I'm trying to get them to do so they can go out and really get like nice jobs within the, the sports media world. So we know that advertising is changing, particularly in the online space. Um, so 
what does BSO look like five years from now? What does anything, what, what does the media landscape, as you see it, the way it's changing, as you see the, the ad revenue change, the amount of clicks, I mean, like how much it takes to make money now, where, where do you anticipate it being five years from now? Yeah, we definitely had, you know, ups and downs. Now, I would say that the best thing about BSO is no matter what happens, our content is so evergreen is yeah. that we, we, we're able to sustain. I mean, even now in the pandemic, uh, last month was one of the better months that I've had in, in a very, very long uh, time. So, and that's part of preparing for things like this. You always have that, you know, but having to have different content and everything. I, I'm not, you know, five years from now, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I will always be involved in BSO in some shape, form, or fashion. It's, it's what I created. <laughs> so, but, you know, five years from now, I'm doing the exact same thing that I was doing five years before that. I mean, that doesn't work like that. You know, five years ago, you know, all I was doing was doing, you know, stories. You know, yeah. now the TV, radio, all this other stuff, you know, that's different. So I'm hoping in five years, you know, the landscape, I think is going to continue to evolve and we're going to continue to evolve with it. Um, I want to make BSO a multimedia, you know, type of company. And that may mean partnering uh, with another media entity. I think, you know, one of the things that we've shown, especially in the pandemic, is that no matter what's going on, we can generate traffic for yeah. people. And I think if you're an advertiser or a company and you say, hey, you know, what is something that we can depend on rain, sleet, or snow? And they say, I know my, my current advertising, you know, company that I use, they're like, man, you're a godsend right now because you've always been in our top five, top 10, you know, but now some of those sites are having big hits and you still increasing. You know, yeah. so I, hopefully that makes me more indispensable, you know, as it goes goes on. But I, I think me personally, while I always be involved, I think, you know, I'm going to maybe step back a little bit. But I would like I said, I would like to do TV full time, maybe even get a radio show. You know, I want to move on to, to, to other stuff. Like I said, there's only so many times you can write about Ben Simmons and, K and Kendall Jenner. Yeah. So why, why, why haven't you sold? I think two reasons. First off, I don't think, you know, I don't just want to do a money grab. Let's put it like that. Like, cause uh, I would imagine uh, that you've had opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could just, you could just take a money grab and that'd be it. But if you take a money grab, just then that's it. Like you take your money and you just go away. And I don't, I want to make sure that this entity and this property is taken care of you know, the right way. I think I owe it to the people that have supported me, you know, over the years. So I think ideally what I'm looking for is some sort of maybe more of a partnership where I can still be involved in the day-to-day, -day, you know, operations. Because as I've told other potential buyers before, you take, you know, it's interesting, you know, we're, we're lock and key. I'm like, if you separate, you know, me from BSO, BSO is not, not the same. Yeah. Uh, so I think what I'm looking for, what I've continued to look for, it's just going to be that, right opportunity where the company comes in another company comes in and and our synergy is together and i can still be a major part of, of what's going on yeah well rob man i appreciate you coming in today man stopping by the podcast you added so much value i mean we've talked about so so many things and man, I appreciate it. And I hope that everybody that li listens to it, that they see you, your, 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 your hustle, what you've done and really take some inspiration from that. Oh man, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. You always are doing a great job. You've always been very su supportive. Um, I appreciate you in, in, a, in a lot of ways. And so many people, you, like I said, you did a, you've done a great transition from the NFL to this and, and uh, good luck to everything that you're doing. 
I appreciate it, man. All right. Uh, See, it's always great to talk to people who have been extremely successful, whether it's in business or in life, and to notice their evolution and their progression. Because Rob talked about his life growing up without a father necessarily in his home every day, but still an active part of his life and how that shaped how he wanted his life to be different. Rob also shared with us about mentors, like how crucial the mentors in his life have been. The mentors in terms of the business side of things that have turned into family as well. And I I always find it very, very important where people who are successful, where they draw boundaries, where they say, listen, I do this, but I don't do this. And that's one of the ways that they're able to separate themselves. They're able to sleep at night, find peace and find happiness. Because you would think that if you are running a site like like Black Sports Online, that you would say, all right, I'm going to take any story. I want all the clicks. I want all the news. That way we can drive the most traffic. But he understands that these are people's lives, that these are families. And that these are people's careers, money that can get all messed up and there's a lot of embarrassment surrounding it. So that element of not necessarily breaking news, but reporting on news that's already out is a way to to uh, kind of a meeting in the middle, a meeting of the road. And that's why he's still able to go to NBA press conferences, to NFL games, to in locker rooms, because there is that respect for that. And one of the things about being in the media is, is that players have a tough time dealing with criticism. But when you get on the other side, you have to learn to attack the action, not the person. And sometimes people get into attacking the person. And that's where real riffs and beefs really, really start. So I think that just in life, just in and operation that I've learned about walking in love and being able to mend fences when you don't see things eye to eye is when you call something out, calling out the action as opposed to the person, because people are redeemable and they can have a change of heart. Like if somebody's a racist, you can grow up a racist. I tell the story all the time about a guy who I went to Oregon with came in from a uh, urban neighborhood, hung around with a lot of skinheads and Aryan nation people was taught one thing, got to school and learned something else that doesn't discount the things he said or did in the past, but this is a different individual now. So to hold him accountable for that is unfair because people do uh, grow and mature and really see like, wow, this is different. I was wrong. I was taught wrong. Uh, I did ask Rob, though, about people calling black sports online racist. And there's this sentiment out in the world that, okay, if you call something a particular race or culture or certain people, that that's racist to the people who aren't, quote unquote, included in it. And it's like so people feel like, oh, well, uh, black people, LBGTQ community, uh, Asian people, whoever, of brown and black people, that they are demanding equality and inclusion. But then sometimes they create things that look to be excluding to other people. 
But Rob said it perfectly is that it's not an exclusion of those people. Those people are included, too. But the problem is that for so long, there hadn't been inclusion that everything else was white. So then uh, people had to create a space for them to to exist and to be able to have things that uh, were representative of them and their culture and their life. I thought that that was a phenomenal answer and that it clearly wasn't flippant the way that he created what he did. And I always look at the evolution of things because remember, uh, like when people get stagnant in life and they don't want to, uh, they, well, in their mind, they want to build a business, build a career, build a life. They get stuck on what the end result is going to look like. Unafraid show doesn't look now like it looked a year ago. It doesn't look like it. I thought it was going to look, it doesn't look like it's going to look five years from now, but you have to start. You have to start, put your time, energy, and effort into it, and then listen to the waves, pay attention, and evolve. thought that that was uh, really interesting how he said that it's evolved from what it was to what Black Sports Online is now, and to be able to work with uh, Harvey Levin at TMZ and to see what he's built, I think that that is a, a phenomenal mentor even for Rob. And when he got the job, it was when Van Lathan was uh, dealing with his exit to TMZ and all of that. And there was a situation to where people were up upset and they wanted to make sure and Rob wanted to make sure that he was not just being token black guy to replace the black guy. I love the principle support surrounding so many things that Rob did and does. And his life and his family now. Because I think to be happy, because he talked a lot about happiness, that you do have to be proud of what you're doing, proud of the life that you're living. And he seems so happy and so pleased to have the life that he has now with his wife, baby on the way, and how those things have changed his identity from being attached to Black Sports Online, BSO, and the success of that being attached to his personal happiness and success. Because we see that a lot with athletes when their lives are attached to their careers. But in reality, you are more than an athlete, like LeBron James says. You're more than your job. You're more than what you think you're good at. If you're a YouTube creator, if you're an artist, if you, you're you more than that. You are a three-dimensional person. So... He added a lot of value with that as well. Um, I just love his hustle because I always appreciate how much people hustle, their stick-to-itiveness, and their willingness to not give up to build something great because that's what it takes. That's what it took Bill Gates to build Microsoft. That's what it took to build Amazon. That's what it took to build, I mean, just... ESPN, what it's taken. I mean, any single extraordinary thing it took, like, like it wasn't successful overnight and it's going to be hard. And there's going to be a lot of people who do not agree with you and think that you are making a huge mistake. Um, yeah. So again, uh, you guys go check out BSO. Rob's a good dude. You guys make sure you guys support his show on TMZ sports. On FS1, 
uh, hit him up on Twitter at BSO. Like he said, he will get back to you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your energy. Thanks for listening to the George Reister podcast. Uh, Make sure that you guys leave a five-star rating. And of course, send us an email, gwpodcast at unafraidshow.com or hit me up on Twitter at George Reister. Peace out. Catch you guys next episode. Make sure you share.